will, open your Bibles to 1 John, the first of John's three epistles here in 1 John. And like I mentioned, our study brings us to verse 18 of, of chapter 2. Now remember, John writes this letter not to create doubts in your faith, just the opposite. To give you a remarkable sense of confidence of who you are and how to walk worthy of that great calling to which you inhabit. As a matter of fact, in chapter 5, verse 13, he gives us the theme of the whole book. He says, I, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you might know, not think, not hope, know that you have eternal life, that you have this relationship with God as your heavenly Father, not some distant creator. You're no longer a mere creature, but you become sons and daughters of the Most High. Now, he says, I write these things that you might know. The Greeks actually had two ways of, uh, two words for knowing something. Uh, they had the word gnosko, which means to come to learn something. You didn't know it, then you learn it. But that's not the word he uses here. He uses this word oida, which speaks of an intuitive knowledge with no doubts. That you have this remarkable sense because of the way you live your life, you know that you have a relationship with God as your Heavenly Father. Well, remember, it was the prophet Ezekiel who said that the change was because when we came to Christ, when we humbled ourselves and admitted that we had a sin problem here and that we're asking for God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, God's provision for our sin, that He changed our hearts. Remember in Ezekiel 36, He says, He placed His Spirit within us, yanked out the old heart, and put in the new heart. That means we have new desires we never had before. New perspectives, and according to John, on three things. A whole new perspective on truth, a whole new perspective on each other and how we treat each other, and a whole new perspective on Jesus Christ Himself. You know, these last few decades, we have, are told we are now in a postmodern era. Do you know what a postmodern era is, is? I mean, you can ask 100 people, you get 100 different definitions. But basically, it is that we are absolutely sure that we have absolutely no absolutes. Absolutely. Does anybody else see the irony of that statement? I mean, it's this idea that there's no longer any truth out there to pursue, to try to learn. But basically, we create truth. That is, the fact that you believe in something, if you believe in it, it becomes true because you believe it. And so truth is no longer something out there, absolute, but rather it is something we create by the fact that we believe in it, it becomes true. So you see the bumper stickers in front of you with all the insignias of all the different religions saying, can't we all get along? And the answer is not if it's not committed to truth. And they contradict each other as to what is truth. John is about to expose this deception between there's some things that are true and there's some things that are false. And we need to have at least one absolute in our mind is what is true. So he begins first with the false. He's going to show us that the false deceives. They are deceived, therefore they do deceive. So they make a choice. If they, you are deceived, you make the choice to deny truth. On the other hand, if you are of the truth, that means you believe, and if you believe, then you make a choice to abide. Watch how these two kind of contrast to each other. He begins with the false and the fact that they're deceived. Look at verse 18 of 1 John chapter 2. John says, Now children... It is the last hour, as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is this last hour. 
Now, John begins this particular paragraph by addressing the children. And he doesn't use the word technia, which is a normal word for children in general, but he uses the word for an infant, a child. Paideia is the word. And it's basically a, a new believer, a, a, a new one to the faith that are really that's really driven more by their feelings and emotions than what they know. They haven't had time to learn truth. So it really is basically kind of this postmodern thing. If it feels true, it must be true. And like it's been said, that emotion is the playground for deception. And that's why these are so easily deceived. He says, now, now little infants, this is the last hour. And they go, wait, 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 what do you mean last hour? <laughs> this last hour's been about 2,000 years. That's a long last hour. But, but this word hour does not have an article in front of it. You go, thank you for that. No, all that means, it's not talking about the length of the time, but the character, the spirit of this particular age. We live in the last age before Jesus Christ returns and receives the kingdom from the Father. You do know you're part of a gift from the Father to the Son. What has God been doing the last 2,000 years? Populating the gift, putting and bringing people who would adore and believe in His Son so that when the Father gives the kingdom to the Son, when Jesus returns to this earth, it will be a kingdom filled from every nation, every tongue, people adoring and submitting and following the King, Jesus Christ Himself. But this is the last age before Jesus Christ returns and receives that kingdom. Now Jesus promised, remember in Matthew 28, He says, and now as you go into the world, make disciples, and while you're populating the kingdom, that's the gift from the Father to the Son, remember, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all I've commanded, and remember the promise, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us through this last hour, this last age. But the fact is, he says, I want you to understand why we know this is the last age. This is the last hour before Jesus returns. He says, the proof is in the pudding. He says, so now many antichrists have arisen. Now in Matthew 24, 24, Jesus talks, in the last days there'll be false Christ, pseudo-Christos, those who will uh, arise and say, I'm a messenger of God start a religion or a cult and a bunch of people follow that because it feels good but he doesn't use here false Christ but he says there's going to arise a spirit of anti-Christ anti-Jesus Christ and now you say well what, how do we know that we're in this season it's unique from any other age throughout the history of mankind I mean have you not noticed that of all the religious icons out there why is Jesus the lightning rod and not the others? I mean, you can mention in polite company at a party with a, a pagan group of folks, and you can talk about Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Baha'i, Christian science, science of the mind, Scientology, Freemasonry, transcendental meditation. You can even talk about non-theism, which is a new term for atheism. As a matter of fact, you can talk about God in general terms, and there'll be no problem in polite company. But why is it when you mention the name Jesus Christ, all of a sudden people start to sweat? People begin to be a little bit uneasy, and some even get angry. This is the spirit of anti-Christ that's permeating our culture and our world today. It's the same spirit that will fill the future anti-Christ with hate for Jesus and hate for all who will follow him. 
And they're so blinded by the spirit of antichrist that Jesus is looked at, and those who follow Jesus are looked at as actually the enemy of mankind. And by the way, we don't help the situation at all when we dip our little nose in politics and get all angry at everything. And then all of a sudden the world thinks, well, Christians are just angry and they're mad, they're intolerant. We're dupes. We just kind of feed right back into this antichrist spirit that already prevails in our world. And so he goes on and he says, the world's going to view us as enemies of mankind. Jesus is an enemy, and that's why you don't mention the name Jesus Christ in polite company without expecting some kind of reaction. Why is that? John says because the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well in our age that we live in. Look at verse 19. He says, they went out, these deceivers, these who are deceived, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, well, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain, evident, that they all are not of us. Who are these folks? They've left us? They, they walk away from the faith? Did they lose their salvation? I have people ask me all the time, can we, can we forfeit our faith? Can I do something really dumb? And all of a sudden, you know, God says, you're out of here. Mothers, mothers, let me ask you, mothers, can you unbirth your child? Now, there are days you would like to send them to the moon. But the fact is, you can't unbirth your children. God does not unbirth his children. What do you think Paul means in Philippians 1.6? He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Why do you think in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why does he give the promise in Romans 8, 28? God will work all things, all the num-num things we do. God will work them all together for good for those who love God and call it according to his purpose. Why the last two verses of Romans 8 says, there is nothing, nor height, nor depth, any created thing, heaven, angels, nothing created can ever separate you from the love of Christ from the love of God and Jesus Christ. Now we can't get unbirthed, but then who, who are these guys? Well, in the night before Jesus was crucified, we have the account in John 15, the same John who wrote this letter. And John is there, he's an eyewitness. And he says that, that's when Jesus basically said, you know, I'm the vine, you are the branches. I'm the vine because for the last 33 years or so, I've been manifesting the very image of God, the beauty of God the Father. Most people think God is some kind of wrathful, ugly, hateful person. And so finally, Jesus himself, the visible image of the invisible God, he's glorifying the Father by showing what the Father's really like. His grace, his compassion, his, his long to, 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 to forgive, long to get angry. Remember the Hebrew word hesed? He's all about loving kindness, the well-being of people around him. But the world doesn't know that, that the Father, the Creator's like that. So Jesus came and manifested the beauty of the Father. But in John 15, he says, I'm leaving. I'm being arrested in about three, four hours, and I'm off the planet in a month. So you're going to have to be the branches. I'll be the vine. I'll still show the beauty of what the Heavenly Father is like, but the vine's going to have to do it through the branches, and that's you, so you will bear much fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, I'm going to help you. A little snip here, a little pruning there, a little lifting here. But remember when Jesus shared that parable? That there was this field of wheat. 
And late one night, the evil one came, and he planted weeds, tear into the field of wheat. And when the tares, the weeds begin to grow, the workers ask, shall we not pull out the weeds from the wheat? And remember, the master of the field said, no, let them grow together. Because when it comes to the harvest, then there'll be a separation. Do you know how easy it is to walk into a church and to become a member? Do you know how easy it is to say you're a Christian? And yet Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 7, many are going to come and say at the last day, Lord, Lord, we went to church. We did this. We did that. And remember, the Lord's going to say, be gone. I've never known you. That's who these people are. They're the ones that maybe have come. And yet the fact that they walk away from the faith, they say, I no longer recognize who Jesus is. I no longer know and believe that Jesus is anything but a mere man. And he walks away from the faith. It's simply evidence that they never experienced spiritual birth in the first place. And you'll see why that in just a few minutes. So the, the false is the one who's deceived. And therefore they deceive others. Therefore, what do they choose to do with their lives? The deceived will always deny the truth. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. They choose to deny the truth. Now what is the truth? Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 6? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth has to do with Jesus Christ, who he is. He's the one that brought us to tell us what truth is. The connections in the created universe that God, this moral fiber of the universe, that wisdom sees the consequences to decisions and the results of, of actions. That wisdom, that truth, Jesus is the one who will explain it all to us. And it all begins with the fact that it starts with a relationship with our creator. Not as a creature to a creator, but a child to a heavenly father. The first thing they deny, notice here, this antichrist spirit is they deny that Jesus is, notice, the Christ. Now you do know Christ is not Jesus' last name. And the is not his middle name. Alright, it's not Jesus the Christ. The Christ, this is his title, this is what he came to do. The word Messiah. It was prophesied in Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. Prophesied in Psalm 16, you go on and on and on. Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14. The fact that God would send his son... The second person of the, de of the Trinity would come as the Son to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Why? Well, in the Old Testament, they had the sacrificial system. You know, you sacrifice sheep, goats, lambs, animals. But human sin is human sin. And the only reason animals were sacrificed because that was the only thing innocent that wasn't deserving of judgment that could be sacrificed as a substitute for the guilt and the arrogance and the indifference of humans to, to God, our Creator, to our Father. But human sacrifice cannot pay and take away sin for human sin. Only a human can. But there's no hum innocent humans on the planet. So what are you going to do? You've got to have an innocent person become a human. And that's what Christmas is all about. Is when God the Son came. And as a perfect innocent, he became the Christ. God's promised provision for the forgiveness of our sins. The wages of sin is death. 
and God would pour his wrath and his judgment on his own son, who was innocent human, in our place. And if we would humble ourselves and say, God, I want to own up. I've got a problem. I don't think much about pleasing you. I don't think much about you at all. And remember, the purest form of hate is indifference. The purest form of hate is indifference. And we're forgiven of being haters of God. And yet these deny that Jesus is the Christ, God's provision for sin. Little historical context, what's going on here. The Gnostics. Now, most of you maybe know who these are now. Thank you to Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code. Remember some years ago, uh, introduced the you know, Da Vinci Code, and it was these Gnostic writers who lost a political fight. And actually, reality is they just began towards the end of the first century when this was written, infiltrating the church. And then it was the second, third, fourth century that they began to write all their writings. And what the Gnostics believed, they're basically Greek philosophers blending Christianity and diluting truth. Because here's their deal. Jesus is not the Christ. Jesus was simply a man, just a carpenter like you and me. And the poor guy, at his baptism, the uh, supernatural logos, the Christos, came upon him. So like little divinity kind of had a little spark on that for about three years. But here's the doozy, is just before he gets himself crucified... Christos takes off back to heaven and leaves the poor Shmo to die on the cross. And so he dies like any other man dies a bloody death. It is not a sacrifice. It is not a provision for God's forgiveness of sin. But not to worry, because there need not be a provision for sin, because there is no sin. If I believe there is no sin, then there's no sin, because I choose to create truth. That was Gnosticism. Isn't it amazing? Human beings really have a hard time owning up to our sinfulness, do we not? And so there it is with Gnosticism, and that's what John is basically addressing here. They're simply saying Jesus is not the Christ. He's not the provision for forgiveness of sin because we don't need a provision for forgiveness. Here's the second thing they denied. They denied His very nature. Look at verse 23. No one who denies the Son even has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also, to deny Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Now, some people say, well, I believe he's the Son of God. Well, let's flip it around. But do you believe he's God the Son? Well, no, he's not as divine. He's not deity. He's the Son of God. He's less God than God, less divine than the divinity of God. Right. It's like I have two sons, and my two sons are my sons, but they're less human than I am. They're kind of a subhuman. <laughs> and there were days. <laughs> but I have to admit, they're not subhuman. And the Son of God, God the Son, is not sub-deity. Was Jesus actually, is Jesus actually divine? Well, what makes somebody divine? I mean, I, I meet a whole lot of people every day that want to be, and a whole lot of other people that act like they are. So, all right, if you want to be God, then, then what can you do to become God? Very simple. Very simple. Aren't you going to be glad you came this morning? <laughs> Remember when God introduces himself to us in Genesis 1-1? He says, let me introduce myself. Hi, I'm God. And what was the first verb, first thing he described about himself? In the beginning, God. Anybody home? God. Anybody in the high school room? God. Wake him up. The fact is, God created the heavens and the earth. So there it is. All you got to do this morning is create the heavens and the earth, and you can be God for a day. 
That's what makes deity a deity. Well, then is Jesus the Son? Is he God? Did he create the heavens and the earth? Remember John, the beginning, when John wrote this gospel, the gospel, the same author who wrote this. Remember how he began his gospel in John 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What do you mean the Word was God? Verse 2, for all things came into being through him. And without him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Find Colossians 1.15. He is the visible image. The Son's the visible image of the invisible God. For it says in verse 16 and 17, For he created all things. All things were created by him, for him. Things visible and invisible, he created the universes. This is the Son. This is the Son. We just finished the study in, in Hebrews. Those who really love God came. And in Hebrews chapter 1, <laughs> sorry, in verse 1 of Hebrews, it says, Long ago and many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Listen to this. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir over all things. Why? Through whom the Son, He also created the world. The Son was the agent of the creation of the universes. He is the radiance of His glory, the glory of God, the exact imprint, the exact representation of God the Father's nature. What else can the Scripture say? As a matter of fact, uh, what does God the Father refer the Son as? Verse 8 of Hebrews 1. But of the Son, the Father says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond any other companions. And yet these deny not only that Jesus, the truth, that he's the Christ, God's provision for our forgiveness, they deny his very nature that he is actually God incarnate. You know, it's been said there are many roads that lead to God and all religions are true. They all end up in the same place. You know, I, I wish that was true. I have people I care about. I have family that are deceived and reject that Jesus is the provision for their forgiveness because they don't even believe they're sinners. And they don't believe anything about Jesus being God. And they're going to be lost. I would wish this was all wrong. But truth is not created by my wishing. Truth is absolute as God revealed it. And to reject the provision of the Son is to reject God Himself. That's His point. Why do you think God said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, what about the truth? That's the, the deceived will choose to deny truth. Then what about the one who believes? What do they choose to do? Well, look at the believer, verse 20 and 21. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because there's no lie, no deception in the truth. He says, but you. Oh, in contrast, but you. You've been anointed by the Holy One. Now, what is anointed? Remember the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Make me to lie down beside green pastures. Storeth my soul. Remember it says, and he anoints my head with oil. The word means to rub something in. Usually it was olive oil. To rub oil in. Here he says, the Holy One has rubbed something in you. And what is it? Well, next chapter, verse 24, tells you exactly what it is. It says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. And God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. You know, again, that night before Jesus was about to be crucified, going to be resting in a few hours, he says, guys, guys, I know you're bummed out because I'm, I'm leaving. But he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you like orphans, but I will ask the Father, the Holy One, to send you the Spirit of truth who will be with you, who will be rubbed in you. Do I need that? (laughs) Maybe I will. And so when we came to Christ, not only were our sins forgiven, but the Spirit of God was placed within us. Now what does this have to do with knowing the knowledge and knowing truth? (laughs) In John chapter 6, Jesus is having this back and forth with the Jewish religious leaders. And they're saying, who do you think you are? And in verse 44, Jesus simply says, Hey, no one comes unto me unless the Father draws him. And listen to verse 45. John 6, verse 45. For the prophets say that they will learn of me from my Father himself. You see, the whole Father, the Holy One, sent the Spirit of God in us to cause us to recognize the truth about that five-foot-six little Jewish man lived 2,000 years ago called Yeshua. It's the Spirit of God who causes us to recognize the truth that He's the Christ. God's provision for the forgiveness of my sins. He's the Son of God. The very one who is going to be the firstborn among many brethren. He's the one that the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. If God has indeed made us sons and, and, and daughters of the Most High, 2 Corinthians 6, God says, I'll be your father. You'll be sons and daughters to me. Great. I have my sins forgiven. I'm in the family of God. I have this spirit-desired heart to please and honor God as my father, and I don't have a clue how. But my big brother does. That's why we're disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not disciples of God the Father. We're not disciples of God the Holy Spirit. We're disciples of the Son. Because as we become more like the Son, we are learning by keeping His commandments, abiding in His commandments, we will learn how to please the Father as sons and daughters, perfectly as He has and as He does. You see, to the world, Jesus is simply just another moral teacher. Or in the words of C.S. Lewis, if He's not the Lord, then He's a liar and He's a lunatic. But even as Napoleon Bonaparte Something really good did come out of France at least a few times. And here's one when he said, If Socrates would enter the room, we should rise and do him honor. But if Jesus Christ came into the room, we should fall to our knees and worship him. So the one true who, because of his anointing by the Holy One, can actually recognize the truth. 
So if we recognize the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, what do we do with that? We make a decision to abide. If deception you decide to deny, belief you decide to abide. Verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, the gospel which you heard about Jesus Christ. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, your believing abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and you'll abide in the Father. Remember we said that 60 times in the Bible you're called saints, that's the New Testament alone? Because you do the saintly thing. You're set apart from the world to do something uniquely different. And what is it? You're living out your believing in Jesus Christ. And you live out your believing by abiding. And what does it mean, abiding? Jesus made it clear. Again, in John 15, he says, If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. And you abide in my love, you abide in the love of the Father. If you keep my commandments. Why he said at the beginning of this chapter, 1 John 2, verse 3, by this we know we've come to know him if we tereo, guard, treat precious, keep his commandments. That's how abiding works. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let the world see your good deeds, your good works, so they will glorify your Father in heaven. The word good there is kalos. It means works that draw people, attractive, what works? When they see the way you treat each other, when they see the beauty of Jesus Christ, who's the perfect image of the Father through the branches, when they see that we actually are gracious to each other, we're actually compassionate to each other, we actually are slow to get angry. Even if you're Baptist, slow to get angry. And we actually forgive. That's new for a lot of Christians. And again, we actually are concerned about the well-being of people around us. When people see that abiding, living out those commandments of Christ, they're going to be drawn to the beauty of the Father. And, oh, saint, you've done the holy, saintly thing. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, Don't you know you've been bought with a price? You're no longer your own. You're a saint, set apart for a reason. Therefore, he says... Glorify God with your body and your spirit, for they belong to Him. Glorify, doxazo, manifest the beauty of your Heavenly Father. You see, the true and the false, we don't make up the truth. It's not because we believe it. Those who are deceived, they deceive, and they choose to deny the truth about Jesus Christ. And we see it as a sign of our age. People get really uptight. But those that are a part of the true, the saints, because they believe, and because the Spirit of God caused them to recognize the truth, they live out the believing, live out the truth by abiding, and they abide by keeping the commands of Christ. It doesn't make any difference whether you're a Baptist, Methodist, Roman Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Mennonite, Quaker, Brethren, Charismatic, Non-Charismatic, Calvinist, Arminian. The issue is, don't succumb to the antichrist spirit that would keep you from fully embracing the truth of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, I know a great place to start today. And I'll tell you after we pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your truth. That we don't create it, we don't have to make it up. But you created truth when you created this universe. And you implanted in the moral fabric of reality who you are, who we are. And Lord, you want us back. And so you provided a bridge by sending the perfect, innocent son to become a human, to die in our place, to be the Christ. And that indeed he would be your son. And that we would be able to follow him and his role as son and become his disciples. Father, if there be anyone here that's deceived and chooses continue to deny, I pray you'd bring them to the truth of Jesus Christ. Humble their heart and may it begin with their honesty about what about their sinfulness. What are they going to do about their sin? For the rest of us, Lord, thank you for your grace upon us. Now may we walk worthy of this, we pray in the name of Christ. God's people said, and here's how you start today to abide with Christ. This is Mother's Day. So moms, either your family or your sons are going to honor you because the first command with a promise in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, is honor your father and your mother and mother and mother and mother for it will go long. The days will go well for you. And so either they're going to take you tonight, this afternoon, to a wonderful place, treat you like the saint that you are, or the spirit of Antichrist is controlling them. God bless you. Walk worthy.